0: Welcome to the Grimshaw Podcast, Culture and the City Series, with your host, Tim Williams. Hi, I'm Tim Williams, and I'm hosting the Grimshaw Podcast Series. Today we've got Tim Jones, who heads up the Culture Mall Initiative in London. This is a coming together of two themes we've had so far in the first two programmes. The first was about the, uh, the work of a fantastic kind of formal cultural institution in Istanbul. The second was about a more informal civic initiative involving culture, um, the making of poetry by uh, young people in Western Sydney. And Tim's going to talk about the uh, amazing experience recently of bringing together some world-renowned cultural institutions in London together with community uh, in an interrelationship that was actually encouraged by COVID. So very optimistic and interesting story. Have a listen. So, Tim Jones, (laughs) at last. Yes. Yes. Hello. Tim Jones, hello. Um, everybody's going to want to know what the culture mile is before we even discuss what a culture mile might be everywhere else. But what what is the culture mile and what's your role in it?
1: Okay, so let me let me try and give you a concise answer to, to what is actually quite a, a long and, and, and complex answer. Culture Mile is a new, a newly established cultural district in the center of Greater London, in a part of Greater London called the City of London, which is the sort of original tiny Roman bit of London, 2,000 years old. Um, Over that 2,000 years, it's evolved into the the bit that's recognised as the financial centre of London. And within that, it's called the Square Mile, because historically, the area that was bounded by the original Roman wall was about one square mile in size. The City of London, which sits inside the bigger, Greater London, the city of nine and a half million people, is um, actually two square miles, um, as it happens. But it's known affectionately as the Square Mile. Within the Square Mile, there's a section of it called Culture Mile, which is a newly uh, conceived cultural district. It's a part. It's the part of the City of London where we have major cultural venues like the Barbican Centre and the Museum of London. So we have some world-class cultural organizations in, in the Northwest part of the Square Mile. And the idea of Culture Mile as an initiative is to use culture and creativity to transform this, this the surrounding neighborhoods where these cultural venues sit um, to really create an amazing destination for culture, creativity, and innovation that workers residents and the visiting public can enjoy
0: were you started in 2017 and i think you've added quite a few members since so who are the who are the foundational the the anchor institutions that formed it and and tell us a bit about why they did so sure the, so the so the group that
1: first came up with the idea is essentially uh led by the city of london corporation the quasi-local authority in in the square mile that um has done the vast majority of the resourcing and support for it thus far they pulled together a partnership that included the barbican center the museum of london the guildhall school of music and drama which is one of the most highly regarded conservatoires for performing arts and music training uh, in the world and the london symphony orchestra which again is a world-renowned cultural organization a pretty good bunch of institutions
0: if i might say
1: yeah, it brings enormous credibility and a sort of sense of highest level ambition for for this initiative from the get go, which of course is really, really handy uh, to sort of stand on the shoulders of those, of those giants as you get going. Um, and, and since then, we've been joined very quickly by a much broader and more diverse community of other stakeholders, who essentially are equally committed to the idea of transforming the physical and, um, I suppose, um, interactive experience of this part of central London. So that includes commercial organisations across finance, tech, legal, it includes academic institutions, it includes retail, hospitality, other not for profits. You know, organisations large and small are all keen to get involved because, and this comes to the other part of your question, you know, why why are we doing this? Because we, we collectively recognise that this is a part of central London, so smack in the middle of, of, of central London, there's an area around Smithfield and the Barbican area that is going to be transformed imminently by the arrival of the Elizabeth Line, a new east-west line across London. Uh, 18 billion pounds spent on achieving this um, really significant sort of super-sized uh, new rail line that's going to run underneath central London an additional one and a half million people within 45 minutes travel distance of the centre of London and this is the bit where that east-west line crosses the northwest line of Thameslink which um, which is a really significant north, north-south um, uh, rail artery through London. So we have we're going to have astonishing public transport connectivity. Currently, if you come out of that central station called Farringdon East um, and walk around Culture Mild, you're in a part central London where there's a really confused mixture architecturally of medieval streets. Um, Victorian uh, meat markets, post-war brutalist architecture and other bits and bobs universally acknowledged appalling wayfinding, a general sense of confusion about the purpose and strategic intention of this part of of, of central London. And at the same time, alongside Crossrail, there are a number of major projects um, that are going to happen in the area. Over the next few years, not least the relocation of the Museum of London from its current site uh, to Smithfield Market in Culture Mile, uh, which will really transform uh, that that location. Huge investment in renewing the Barbican Centre so that it's match fit to meet the cultural expectations of 21st century audiences bart's hospital one of the oldest continually operating hospitals in the world is on our patch and is um thinking about how to turn its north wing into a major health and well-being and cultural center the area the public realm around Smithfield market is being transformed into a a much more uh, exciting public realm area that makes for a new destination and so on so there's all of these major investments happening and these major projects and culture mile is really the sort of the glue around them that contains the idea of this is a major um destination for creativity culture and innovation in central london that's going to attract a lot more people and we need to get ready for that
0: so there's, let's sum up this part of the conversation first and then i want to go to some of the discussions about culture in the city and and the role of culture in actually attracting um, talent investment and and life back to our city. And of course, we've obviously been through a major, the most major disruption to all our lives, but particularly affecting um, the kind of cultural and creative industries who couldn't perform, sell to people and, you know, do their art and their their cultural activities as easily and had to reinvent themselves. And I know that you've been doing Quite a lot of that. And I think we'd like to talk a bit about about that. Sure. But let's let's just uh, sum up a, a, a few a few bits around this because people will not be that familiar with the uh, the geography, nor should we expect them to. But I think that you've summed it up very well. You know, the, the, this is the financial heart of of the, the city of London. Um, yeah. But there are a number of major cultural institutions, and the the big moves have been galvanised a bit by the, the Elizabeth Line, which uh, we would have called Crossrail. Uh, coming a major, I mean, uh, as you say, an 18 uh, billion pound railing connecting east and west, transforming uh, the the area. So you're, you're kind of galvanized by that. But it also still requires someone to have the imagination to bring cultural institutions together. I mean, is this project somebody's passion? Is there a, was it just pragmatic or is there a real sense that you all want to work together?
1: Well it's interesting to um, look at the origins of of cultural districts. I've been lucky enough in my career to work in cultural districts uh, across the world and I'm aware that, you know, it's very difficult to find any two that are remotely alike. Uh, I mean, you know, one of the most distinguished features of Culture Mile is it's essentially a retrofit, you know, it's not a it's not a piece of a new piece of city. You know be it yeah. a, you know, um, a concrete slab sticking out into the harbor where the city has said let's put lots of cultural organizations uh on here and kind of herd people on and off every day and you know count heads and um understand you know we're, we're not in that mold we are um you know there is an incredible amount of pre-existing content almost an overwhelming amount of pre-existing content and relationships and heritage and you know social and community dynamics here uh when i've asked i've been in post for about three and a half years so naturally when you arrive you sort of say so how did this get started and depending on who you talk to i mean i think all of this is true in in one way or another the the sort of need to mobilize a response to the arrival of crossrail was was paramount the city of london corporation was one of the most significant advocates crossroads happen you know and these conversations advocacy has been going on for years and years and years but that idea of getting the place ready and thinking about what the welcome should be for all of those extra people who can get into the center much more easily once crossrail completes is a is a is a driving factor another factor i think is some of the members of the city of london corporation so the elected officials understanding that alongside the big organizations like the Barbican and Museum of London there's lots of much smaller organizations in the area you know we know many of them and we've run the data on it um, to show us that there's actually a, a quite dense concentration of cultural organizations in and around this part of London but they historically a lot of them struggle for visibility and to sustain themselves you know they're very much on a kind of subsistence diet and so the question is, how could they be brought into a much bigger idea, which would make them more visible and aid their, um, you know, aid their fortunes in ways that they can't achieve on their own. And then fundamentally, I would say it's the enlightened leaders at the top of cultural organisation that understand that as we move into the mid twenty-first century, it's as much part of their. Uh, shouldn't be as much part of their agenda to think about how they can influence and deliver experiences beyond their walls and we were lucky enough to have Sharon Amance at the Museum of London who came from the Exhibition Road uh, context Ah, yes Uh, and so gets this stuff you know she's been amongst the Natural History Museum and the Science Museum uh, cluster over there um, you know for many years so has sort of seen the merits of collective working. And um, pretty quickly after our appointment, um, I think sort of sat down with Nick Kenyon, then managing director of the Barbican Center, to say, well, you know, presumably we should be doing um, stuff together that really uplifts and transforms um, this part of town and makes the case for culture's role. In urban transformation, and I think Nick Kenyon, who 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 isn't in that role at the Barbican anymore, but you know has been a passionate supporter of these ideas uh, for many years, you know sees the limitations of uh, of the physical form of of culture buildings and the various missteps that can be made, or you know the the ways that it's very difficult to create a cultural building that is sufficiently flexible to accommodate what the public's going to want in decades to come. And you know, no more um, difficult environment to do that than in the Barbican Center. Um, and so is very keen, has has been very keen to kind of push this idea of the Barbican engaging as a stakeholder within a wider footprint than its own, the footprint of its own building.
0: So that's the sort of that's the sort of origin story of it. Uh, it, and yeah, then, sorry you, you finish and i'll come back to well i suppose and then
1: and then i think it's a case of thinking about how to translate those that really promising energy into a sufficiently ambitious working structure that can get some of these ideas delivered um you know visibly incredibly enough uh so that culture mile develops its reputation uh more people want to join in with it and hopefully, over time, over the, you know, 10 to 50 years, the momentum of this thing feels unstoppable.
0: So I want to talk about um, all this stuff, and then we're going to get to how you were affected by COVID. But before yeah. we do, I think you're, um, you referenced the uh, exhibition uh, sort of, um, and you know, Kensington part of town where there's been a lot of... Yeah, collaboration ex- ex- the- yeah Exhibition Road. Or, yeah. Exhibition Road, uh, which has become quite famous as an example of changing the kind of placemaking side outside an institution to kind of make sure that it connects uh, and makes it more walkable. And everything we read about, you know, the link between kind of uh, placemaking and livability and then linking that to business activity and and just animation. So all that stuff is very important and and significant. What I was gonna ask about was um, people need to sort of, those who've never been to this part of the world, need to understand that the financial center of london didn't used to have many people still doesn't have that many people actually living in it um and it used to be re- dead uh after a, you know three or four o'clock in the afternoon when i first went to london in the 80s it was pretty dead in the in the yeah. Square Mile of london they all went home from work at like four o'clock because they'd been there from seven o'clock or whatever it was so it was dead um the barbican became very important as a place to go to um and and you know life has returned slowly uh so now there's quite a lot of Uh, cultural activity and places staying open in the evening, the nighttime economy started growing Um, and you're a very important part of that. But you're also got this other thing around collaboration between cultural institutions. I I often think that they're they're not as collaborative as people think they might be. Um, And uh, have you found that um, they've 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 jumped at the uh, the collaboration that that it's actually you're finding synergies between the various institutions? So uh, I guess,
1: um you know in the latter part of my career sort of understanding how to work with cultural organizations to support them to be effective in the space i guess is a central question that that i've been unpacking over various you know projects i think you know cultural organizations are you know obviously incredible places from 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 certain vantage points Um, and I've been lucky enough to, in, in the context of Culture Mile, to work with those that have real buy in at the top for the vision of what we're trying to achieve, and some excellent staff deployed who work who work with my team uh, in the common cause, you know, who know much more than I could ever get my head around about event production or community engagement, or, you know, similar. Um, they're also often you know large organizations at this at this stage and i think we all recognize how how much time it can take to turn the tanker uh, or, or switch the light bulbs on in in large organizations particularly when in a sort of in the typical cultural sector non-profit model you tend to have a business model which doesn't naturally incentivize you to take risks experiment or or even work beyond your 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 walls as an organization i remember some time ago i was chairing a, a panel at a, at a theater and, and placemaking conference um and i was talking to um a, a brilliant guy who ran a theater in uh, the north of england who with a beautiful public square out the front of the building and you know i trotted out the thing that i think people often um often doing these sort of like oh wouldn't it be amazing if you know you presumably use this public square out the front of your building for free summer activities engage families uh, you know create um opportunities for artists to work in a different setting build your audience and so on and i said to people well, that's all well and good but you need to understand our business model is essentially hardwired around the idea of getting ticket buying bums on seats in our central auditorium and anything that takes our focus away from it threatens our sustainability so you know crudely put it's it's very easy for cultural consultants of which i've been one to kind of you know dream up these ideas of cultural organizations bursting out into the public realm and you know in ways that i'm sure the public would find very relevant and exciting
0: but actually, a lot of the time, they really, really struggle to do it. Yeah, it's it's like your very important point about the business model, about monetizing. Collaboration is great and public realm, you know, interchanges and sociability on the street. They're all really very, very good and, and help enormously to enhance a district. But does it really put more bums on seats?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that um, there is, people aren't emotionally sort of bought into the you know these ideas i'm just saying there's a lot of there's a lot of hurdles in the way yeah, yeah. Uh, op- operationally and strategically that mean that that's in practice often a lot harder than one might expect and i think the the other thing the other challenge i guess you know we have the these, these, these big cultural brands in the culture mile area which are hugely advantageous to explaining what we're trying to do and why it's going to be brilliant but large-scale city centre venues are different from a sort of mid-scale or small-scale venue which is based more in a local neighborhood as you've said Tim you know we don't have uh, a vast number of residents in the city of London itself we've got about i think around nine nine and a half thousand um so these these venues aren't really designed to yeah. But they, they have to have a massive blast radius to make themselves sustainable. You know, the Barbican has to position its programme across greater London and beyond to encourage people to come in from really far afield to experience its programme. Yeah. And in a similar way, the Museum of London has to think about how to reach all Londoners and loads of international visitors with what it does. And so their focus is at that level rather than, you know, what's happening on the doorstep. Until, of course, COVID happened. Well, I should say,
0: yeah. Before we get on to that, I want to leave hanging this one idea that the challenge between business model and place, in a sense, you know, the business model means that I have to reach out if I'm the Barbican and I'm a big theatrical space and it's got complex classical music sort of performances which appeal to, you know, cultured, uh, as it were, high-cultured minorities with a bit of money. I might reach out to a vast geography in order to get them in. Uh, to that part of London. On the other hand, I'm in a place, you know, I've got a relationship I need to have and should have with the local community. But you know, but the you know the program is one thing, and then the community is another. How you try and you know maximize the interrelationship between the two is a really interesting challenge, which I want to talk about with your COVID experience. Before we get there, Tim, I thought we might sum up mm-hmm. for people listening internationally. There's going to be a lot of interest in the programming of the Culture Mile, the objectives. Of it, because as you say, and I'll talk. I would like to talk to you a bit about some of the international comparisons. But I, you've got a really excellent, uh, you know, annual report available online with a video, very animated. We'll give people the links. But your 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 work encompasses five areas, and let's just take them one by one. So you do. uh, You've got to focus on creative spaces, developing and amplifying the spaces within the culture mile, from public realm through to meanwhile use. So creative spaces. What do you mean by that? And what do you what what's happening in that area what do you want to do with that that? that yeah so that's
1: that's the i guess perhaps the you know for us it's perhaps one of the most um conventional things that you would anticipate a cultural district project would be doing so it's the spaces between building stuff it's the you know how can we create great creative uh cultural experiences for the public in our public realm spaces uh, installations outdoor performances etc but also it's about um what are the what's going on in the buildings that are across the culture mile area and how can we use arts and culture particularly uh, you know post covid to drive um, re-engagement with the this part of the city and excitement about it and its future so that might be about, securing opportunities for um artwork installations inside buildings. It might be about um, creative workspaces. There might be stuff going on at the policy level, which is exploring how we can shift the balance of commercial space occupancy in this part of the city towards the creative and cultural industries. Right. Um, And and in doing so, I suppose find another angle to kind of assert this idea that culture is a really, you know, driving motor for for urban transformation of this area
0: i think the, um, the, the related point there is interesting that you know we will talk about covid afterwards but there's this whole emphasis at the moment about reinventing cbds as central experience districts rather than central business districts you know there's a feel that all the financial centers and all the business centers will become a, mit- a bit more mixed use and we will need to encourage sociability and people back onto the streets amenity will have to be increased um, and things to do and see will have to be increased, and culture and creative industries would seem to be at the heart of that new offer. So what you're doing is even more central uh, than before to reviving yeah. the city. I mean, is that your feeling at the moment? Yeah, yeah, very
1: much so. I mean, you've you've asked, you know, you've asked to kind of go through the different prongs yeah. of what we work on, and of course they overlap to some degree. One of the other ones is called, so if if you don't mind us sort of hopping to another one as I explain this, but another one's called the business partnership. It's a huge focus for at the moment, which is essentially a campaign to establish a, a new business improvement district in the area. And what that will do, of course, it will lock in a model that gives an independent board of business leaders local to the area, some clear authority over the terms on which culture mile develops for the benefit of that business community and it really helps make that link between the cultural offer and the economic uh, benefits and the economic prospects of the area in a much more usefully direct way for them i think when we think about uh, establishing a business improvement district which is a relatively new uh, endeavor on my own part i am struck by the fact that if you are offering a small scale Hospitality or or retail business, you're probably too small to need to pay uh, to be uh, to be required to pay a levy uh, on an annual basis into the operating budget of the bid. But you'll doubtless see loads of benefits from a bid existing in the area. You know, if you're a restaurant, a member of the bid team might come along and help you think through your menu and how to make it more family friendly. If you're opposite the Museum of London, you know, look at your pricing structure. If you're a retail space you know they might come along and say we've got loads of information about who's walking past your front door which we you know can we share this with you in ways that help help enhance your your you know your marketing and wayfinding and so on if you're a larger business one of those that's paying into the, the the annual operating budget for bid the benefits of bid membership traditionally i think have been much less direct know you're a solicitor working on the second or third floor of an office building and the result the consequence of your organization paying into the bid pot for you is that there's something pops up on the internet from time to time and says oh you know there's a new restaurant opening down the street i'm really interested as i think we all should be in understanding how to make benefits of business improvement district membership much more tangible and direct to those larger levy paying businesses because I think it plays into the question that that you're exploring Tim which is how can we really you know we know we need to double down on explaining the place benefits of offices being located where they are to make sense of the future of our urban cause and I think bids can be a really powerful means to do that. I think workers increasingly, as you've said, are going to expect it. And I think that culture and creativity, which is the material that me and my team work with, you know, all the time, and thinking about how to embed it in places, is going to be fundamental to what the, is is going to be needed for these organisations to remain there and to thrive in the future.
0: You are listening to The Grimshaw Podcast, Culture and the city series with your host Tim Williams. But I think um, what people might be interested in um, the, the, the question of governance is interesting you know the um, you know we it doesn't always sound very glamorous to talk about this but you've got two kinds of governance discussions going on. you've got your um, you've got your culture mile collaboration and partnership and then you've also got a kind of business improvement district discussion yeah. going on, um, and um, nothing happens by happenstance, you know, we, you know, it, it's all very good to talk about collaboration, but you really do need to bring people together and you need some money and you need some resources to make it all happen. So the bid is a very good idea, it seems to me, and it also connects the artistic endeavour, if you like, with the placemaking endeavour, because bids um, have a history of, of involving themselves in public realm, um, yeah. which strikes me as yeah. very, very important. You, you will be aware, of course, uh, Nick, for that anybody working in, in Urban Regeneration, we're very aware that um, partnership has been defined as the suppression of mutual hatred in pursuit of a grant. That's brilliant. But there's nothing wrong with it, you see, because one mustn't be too... I can't think of a better phrase than namby pamby about these things. You know, people ha- collaborate for a purpose, right? So that the... I, and I want to come back again to your list of five areas because it strikes me that you created outputs and outcomes for from collaboration you know with your members and you've identified with them a group of five areas that you want to work in so um we talked about creative spaces the second one is creative community strengthening connections with and between neighbors and the heritage and culture on their doorstep what's that about yeah so this really sort of takes us into one aspect of the kind of covid moment for us um, do that. When when the first
1: lockdown happened in uh, March 2020 in the UK, I remember having told the team, you know, take your laptops home and uh, presume that, you know, we're not going to be back in the office at some time. I remember walking to the station and just before I got on the train, turning and looking at the residential towers, we've got very tall residential towers on the Barbican estate, uh, which is at the heart of our district mm-hmm. and thinking to myself there's lots of people in those towers that are in flats that have balconies but no gardens and those flats are only accessible through what we call the high walk system there's a series of elevated pedestrianised walkways across our area kind of unique unique fi- uh, fixture that um, post-war fixture this idea of kind of lifting pedestrians up off the ground yeah. level um, which is um, you know, interesting, but these but these walkways are about three and a half metres wide. And so I thought to myself, no, we've kind of bearing in mind what it seems like we're facing, we have one of the most um, anxious communities right in the heart of our district. What are we going to do about it? And that combined a bit with, of course, the huge challenges that COVID brought for the cultural organisation, which were saying, you know we the only audience and and participants we can see for what we do are people who could walk here yeah so can we draw a map and say in distance 20 to 30 minutes from where we are um, and how much do we know about that goes a little bit back to my point about how these megawatt venues aren't historically designed to think about who's on their doorstep yeah, yeah. Uh, and suddenly they had to and our Creative Communities programme really came out of a response to that, because Culture Mile itself doesn't have a venue, so we didn't have to deal with all of the problems of that. That our our cultural partners needed to deal with, just you know shutting up, following staff, trying to work out when they could reopen, and you know all of that business. We could just crack on doing what we we thought was best, and through that came a really exciting program of um, engagement for people who live in central London in and around the Culture Mile area. Um, include, we've, we made a radio station project really quickly to engage, which, and we made it with local people. So you can, If people want to go to the Culture Mile website, they can find the audio of, of, these, uh, of this project called Radio Local, which um, was led by a couple of artists uh, included lots of kind of quirky and crazy phone-in bits, regular items, so on, but it was basically a, a, a means to give some really badly needed sense of togetherness and, and positivity for the future at a time when, you know, the future looked really, really bleak for people. And then very quickly off the back of that, we created something called the play packs and play packs are a simply cardboard folder that, contains a set of different prompts for playful activities that families can do in their own homes and so we as culture mile we would go to the barbican and then say can you design a one side of a playful activity that a, a family living in central london could do without needing to go online and we go to the Guildhall, we'd go to lso we'd go to other cultural partners in the area we go to other organizations in the area and then as the more we did these we've given out about twenty thousand of them at last count um you know cultural organizations and other organizations would come to us and want to contribute to it and that was really to um acknowledge that if you are living below the poverty line in central london you're over 50 percent likely not to have daily access to the internet and and so they were the play packs were deliberately designed as a kind of hard analog Offer that we could distribute through food banks and community centres and mutual aid groups in central London, kind of keep um, keep people's spirits up and to show that these cultural organisations cared about them and had the expertise to design things that might, they might find fun to do. Okay. Of course, they also work. They, they work. They work as a great you know long term marketing tool yeah,
0: yeah.
1: For, for for audiences in the area. You're creating you know, like, like we. We had the most astonishingly positive feedback from 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 giving out the play packs, and one of the most positive things about it was it was unsolicited. You know, we didn't give these things out and kind of hardwire a kind of evaluation and monitoring strategy on top of it. You know, please rank the quality of your play pack play pack. You know, between one and ten. We just gave them out because it felt urgent and important to do it, and then in different ways we would hear that. You know, people loved them. Children were going to their local school and chalking "Thank you for my play pack" on the on the driveway outside the school because we put in
0: colourful chalks. You know, yeah, because they thought they'd come from the school rather than us, which was lovely. You know, See, I think that's fantastic. I mean, I think uh, out of evil cometh good. Number one, um, but also you re- responded very, responded very imaginatively, and I like that point about analog versus digital. You know, people forget. You know, there's a big digital exclusion thing been going on and we know that something like 20, 30% of kids in the UK didn't really get much education during COVID because they haven't got good yeah. access to, to internet and stuff. So I think that's brilliant. I think also you showed two things. One is uh, the, the the merit of your collaboration, because I don't think any of those cultural institutions would have thought to do that with, without the, you know having your umbrella organization to bring them together. I think that's a great idea, but also I think it's a really profound idea, Tim, that you you know, you can have these cultural institutions in the midst of areas of perhaps, you know, either uh, poverty or, or cultural unawareness of some of the offer and they, they think that it's not for them, you know, it can be close to them but alien from them. And this has been a weird opportunity to, to integrate, you know, so the, the cultural offer, the, the high formal cultural offer on the one hand with the actual culture of the area.
1: Well, there's a sort of bigger
0: piece of thinking as well that
1: sits on top of that, which which um, I, I'm concerned to just reinforce yeah. with my team and, and all all the other conversations that we have externally, which is to sort of say, well, whilst our cultural partners are in a very exciting, but quite orthodox space in terms of cultural production and programming and presentation, you know, and they do it brilliantly. Culture Mile needs to sit between that space and the sort of urbanism space. And to do that well, we need to understand how culture can be meaningful in places that people don't normally presume it's going to have a role. So that's everything from um, thinking about, you know, our, our local residential communities already have a perfectly uh, satisfied um, understanding of what culture means to them you know they don't need us to kind of come in with our size 10 boots and tell them what they should be engaging with in in, in a cultural sense. so our role is very much to kind of respond to that acknowledge that and instead of it being a sort of cynical outreach exercise to try and convert um uh, you know audience you know convert people into becoming new audience for a pre-existing cultural experience or, or product much more about how can we learn about the cultural interests of our our local resident and use that to inform and to fundamentally change what these big cultural organizations do in the future which i think is hugely progressive you know and um, it's taken a while for the cultural sector in the uk to get on that footing but it's getting there and i just think that's hugely encouraging but it's it's also it's also about things like um you know what is the role of culture in in public space transformation? You know, so we've we've got artists in residence on on uh, public realm design teams, for instance. You know, shaking things up and encouraging architects to look at things in different ways. And I'd like to see that to become almost standard practice for how we you know run and deliver those kind of projects in the culture mile area. Um, you know, what's the role? What's the role of culture in supporting the commercial? Um, you know, landscape of the city going forward, given that uh, we know that if you go on LinkedIn and look at its annual survey of businesses, the number one quality that that employers want their businesses to, uh, their their employees to have, is creativity. But we also know that those blue-chip CEOs don't quite know in many instances how to engender greater creativity in their workforce or how to recruit for it. Um, And so the idea of how cultural experiences and cultural engagements seeds creativity uh, in people and then can set them up with the skills and insights they will want and need to kind of flourish in the 21st century workplace is, is quite a fundamental part of our offer. I feel I'm kind of skipping into another of the prompts because I'm beginning to talk about Culture Mile Learning, which is our uh, very established um, learning and creative learning and engagement uh, aspect of what we do, which is, you know, we, we are determined for Culture Mile to become as much a learning destination as a cultural destination. And at the center of that learning agenda is not just, you know, cultural engagement because it's nice for young people you know school age or up to 25 years is our focus not just because it's nice for them but because it can actually help set them up it can support for future employment it can support social mobility it can unlock greater opportunities for them to thrive across all sectors and all walks of life
0: I think yeah I think that's crucial, crucial what I like about what you're talking about we sometimes think of the, you know, culture and creativity as like separate from, you know, either the community or separate from construction, separate from business. And I think yeah. you know, it's always been much more integral than that, but it's going to be much more important even going forward, given the need for innovation and creativity at the heart of economic activity, but also to make sure that innovation is inclusive. And I think what you're doing is really important, uh, Tim, in terms of, uh, I think on the one hand, creating, as you said, the audience of the future you know and some of them locally uh, for the cultural institutions, which will need it. And you showed in Covid that they couldn't rely on their, frankly, kind of middle class audience from well away to travel in. That was not going to happen. So they've had to reconceive, I guess, their relationship locally. But also this learning part uh, is pretty critical going forward. It's funny, um, Tower Hammets is a council on the doorstep there. When I was working there, back in the day, we they attempted to put a requirement into their developer contributions that for every major project, a proportion of it should go to public art and to you know having artists involved in the design process. And it sounds as though you're quite sympathetic to that, but that also gets us now into the other thing that you're doing, the cross-sector collaboration, developing the creative ecology, but also deepening collaboration between commerce and culture. Um, yes, and, that, I, and I would say that is the other, um,
1: big success of of the covid moment o- over here in that um it became apparent um as everybody was going through such difficulty that there was an opportunity to really assert the role that culture could play in the recovery of the city of london so because of h- how we are usefully positioned it was quite easy for me to reach out to the then lord mayor of london Uh, the 692nd Lord Mayor of London, actually, and I suppose for your international listeners, it's important to make a a distinction between the Mayor of London, so the appointed civic official with responsibility for the entirety of Greater London, its transport system, its congestion charge, uh, you know, various other uh, city-wide, you know, important civic manoeuvres, and the lord mayor of london which yeah. is a much older and, and looks like you know much more of a kind of ceremonial role which is essentially really about promoting london uh, particularly internationally um the we had uh alderman william russell as he's known uh, as the 692nd uh, lord mayor of london he'd come in shortly before covid struck and is a big fan of culture and had already been talking to us about you know what can we do with during my mayoralty to um you know really push the cultural offer of the city and and evolve it and so on. So it was quite easy to when when COVID struck to say, look, you know, we need really need to think about how how to make sure that we get culture out of its box and think about of its relevance in supporting the strength of the City of London and its contribution to Greater London in as many dimensions as we can. This led to the creation of something called the Culture and Commerce Task Force, which brought together a set of really kind of heavyweight thinkers and uh, officials from across the cultural sector, um, the visitor economy. Um, the commercial sector and so on to have a, it was kind of basically a very fast moving think tank that looked at what, how culture could really play a, a role in in turbocharging, uh, you know, the way that we emerged from the pandemic and made the city inclusive, effective, and exciting going forward. And it was, you know, one of these things where out of every big problem comes a big opportunity. Um, it's meant that um, many more of my colleagues in the City of London Corporation routinely talk about culture than they did before COVID, and the role it can play in helping them meet their objectives, be it on transportation, community cohesion, financial and professional sector engagement, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's sort of a way to get this idea to kind of go viral. Um, that's been really, really helpful, but it's also led to a set of Uh, recommended projects, some of which Culture Mile has been able to pick up. So, for instance, Bloomberg supports us to do a scheme called Creative Exchange, which is about looking at what happens when you bring cultural leaders or cultural practitioners together with business leaders and and business people. And, you know, people often talk about that stuff. You know, we should be thinking about what's that core face between you know creativity and and the commercial landscape like and who owns it and who drives it and so on but a lot of that stuff in my experience has been stuck in you know the 1980s for a long time it's been about corporate sponsorship and occasional kind of events rather than anything deeper so we work with with the support of bloomberg to really unpack that and do innovation laboratories and uh, we've done a thing uh, working with law students to look at how we can equip artists to um, think through some of the legal challenges they face. And this is the sort of stuff where I think, well, this could only really happen in, in through an initiative like ours that is on the doorstep of a major financial hub. You know, it would be crazy if we weren't thinking about how to explore that relationship with financial powerhouse that is the rest of the city of london
0: but i think that's brilliant because i think you and this is where the conversation i want to go off to as we go off in the last sort of five or six minutes of the conversation is around some of the lessons learned for the you know as you know and you've been looking at the broader international discussion of the role Mm -hmm. of culture perhaps in renewing our city centers after covid but also this whole discussion about what is a cultural and creative industries district? Is it, is it like an innovation precinct? Is it something quite different? Is it a business improvement district? And what are the factors of success? But well, I think one of the things that you've really identified is the, is the synergies that, are, you know, that arise when you've got two industries, in a sense, you know, next to each other, you've got the financial services, globally powerful, competitive, but can still learn a trick or two from being more creative and attracting talent as well because Mm. of what you're Mm. up to Mm. and at the same time, their notes and their experience and some of their money, but some of their management, uh, sort of, you know, and their their sense of, you know, how how to do um, sort of market marketing successfully is really important to play back into what you're doing so that so that you're, you're maximizing the leverage of having one of the world's great financial services centers on your doorstep, but you're also you're also useful to them. Uh, in the the reinventing of their of their attractions, it seems to me. Yes, I mean,
1: I think it's important for us to remind ourselves that, you know, everybody has a cultural life, you know, and, you know, somebody might work in the commercial sector, but nevertheless, you know, whether it's, you know, sports related, whether it's, you know, uh, cinema, whether it's, you know, some, you know, people have got rich cultural lives of their own and they don't need um, the cultural sector kind of convert them to its agenda necessarily they need perhaps the cultural uh sector to respect their um cultural enthusiasms and help sort of amplify them and demonstrate how they can be relevant in, in in many more ways and these organizations in the city you know many of them have got huge art collection you know we have deutsche bank for instance moving into our district it's got an in-house curator it's got huge art collections there's a network of commercial sector art curators that we're connected to, each of which is kind of thinking about you know, how to uh, forward awareness of the arts in a, in a commercial organisation setting. And I guess where we come in is to sort of you know, applaud that, that impulse of those organisations and support people to explore how the arts can be beneficial in a, in, you know, in a corporate sense, and for the individual well-being of employees and their engagement in 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 and with the city in a myriad more ways than might happen currently.
0: So look, I, yeah, I mean a couple of things to to end with. I think this is a fascinating and really important discussion. Your work is is great. I really encourage people to engage with you and the website. And I'm sure you welcome people uh yeah, please, please, but, yeah. but here's a couple of thoughts. Um let's let's talk about success factors what you've learned because i should have said tim you you had a history before doing this of actually being a consultant and an advisor um on creative and cultural industries quarters and the whole relationship between um cultural strategies and city transformation so that's your background right so so the (laughs) factors of success that you you think you're homing in on um and a couple of thoughts about that i mean in the literature around innovation precincts generally and the the, you know the brookings kind of kicked it off but essentially you know you've got to have anchor institutions you know governments always want to come in and say great idea you know innovation district let's have 10 of them um and we'll just invent them from top down and it's all about placemaking, or you know but you start i think in a strong position of having anchor institutions that, that in a sense did two things one is decide to collaborate with each other, so that's a two plus two equals five kind of benefit. Mm-hmm. But but I think also um, decided that uh, working with a supportive local authority, you then have a enough capacity. I'm sure you you would want more to be the kind of innovation team that actually brings people together, that is the glue between the various anchor institutions. And I think that's required. Do you do you not agree that that the, a capacity is required? To bring these people together and to learn some of the lessons from collaboration.
1: Yeah, yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, I I talk about this a, a lot. We, I'm, I'm very aware that you know there's a lot of different cultural districts or, or innovation districts or different kinds of you know destination districts that are that are jostling for position and growing up like topsy, you know, in yeah. in, in cities across the world, with greater or lesser degrees of credibility. Um, uh, And I'm also conscious that in some cases, you know, that can be a very anaemic exercise. You know, it can translate, if you're not careful, into something that gets committed to death. Or it it can translate maybe into a a plucky website and a couple of part-time staff, you know, valiantly sort of talking about it, but in ways that don't really shift the dial on anything beyond sort of saying, oh, yes, you know, there is a, a symbolic glue between us, but actually, when you look at the detail, it doesn't really yeah. matter more than that. What I'm lucky to have in the culture mile context, and I would advise anybody working in this area or thinking of getting this area to, to really fully consider is the need to have, you know, enough of a volume of capacity and expertise in order to really. Do this stuff properly you know everybody can write a vision statement that talks about you know transformative urban regeneration or world-class destinations and so on you know we're always at risk of bandying terms around you know quite complacently but if you're in the business of wanting to do a properly joined up creative ambitious vision with culture at the center you know there's the need to have the capacity, the time, and the tenacity to take enough people with you on very, um, you know, complex, uh, exciting conversations, but need quite a lot of time uh, for you know the pennies to drop or the right person to be in the right position in the partner organisation which you're trying to unlock the relationship. With. Or, you know, just any acknowledgement that some of the major projects happening in, in the Culture Mile area, you know to take years and years and years to deliver and to influence the ways that those get delivered for the greatest joined up benefit, you'll need to engage with everybody from, you know, the temporary, um, you know, contractors who are doing the health and safety works through to the, the engineering guys who are looking at how to, you know, make sure a basement level of a new venue is sufficiently stable. You know through to the more kind of culture and you know people who might style themselves as being more cultural and creative um for whom you would presume the conversations are going to be easier and actually you need to engage with people at all levels and develop the ability to make friends and develop you know loyalties and you know galvanize people and a whole host of, of functions and i think i suppose by implication one of the things i'm talking about is the best is is you know pacing you know different things move at different speeds I think in the case of us is what I call a retrofit cultural district it's because we're a place with a 2000 year history um, and you know complex and congested social and political landscape every conversation that our team gets into you know feels like it's had Pre-existing people in that conversation for sometimes decades before we arrived, so we need to be respectful of that and accept that some people are going to be in, know, going to be very dug into some positions that they've had for a long, long time. Uh, but also, when movement happens, as it has happened with COVID, it can sometimes happen really quickly, and yeah. things can can unlock very quickly and often from some quite unusual angles. So you know, being being able as a team to be ready for those moments and to jump on them as we, as we did with you know the COVID crisis, I think is, is essential when you are working in these really complex environments.
0: So let me say a few things. Um, one I think is, uh, I've never thought that your agenda or your kind of work was was marginal. Uh, and I think you're proving the worth of that. It will be more even more important as we try to recover our cities going forward the culture and creativity will be at the heart, both of attracting people back to our centers, but also to the kinds of economic activity they will be doing. So I think that's really very central. I think the the other thing is that, I think one of the things I, I learned from this kind of discussion is that, um, you made the point that you're in a retrofit area. And I think that in a sense, all cities will be retrofitting their economic activity after this COVID uh, moment. There'll be a need for um, this kind of collaboration um, you know, between sectors uh, in, in all sorts of industries, it seems to me, Col- you know, cities um, collaborate to compete generally, but it's going to be even more important, I think, after COVID. And having a team, not just the, w- the will to partner and collaborate, but actually having a kind of innovation team like yours is to try and curate the process of transition and the, and the collaboration to take the an area or a sector forward will be quite critical. I've got an immediate question. And then i got a longer term question so the immediate question is is there a sense of excitement and, and uh, optimism returning to your partners uh, in the culture mile thinking we're going to get our audiences back we've learned some new tricks and we're going to make quite a lot of new things happen we're looking forward to you know some return of our, uh, our through our tills and bums on seats but also just a, a feeling of uh, a return to some of the cultural energy there was before but but renewed by the partnership so one is is there a sense of things turning back to that immediate positive future and then the second thing is more about asking you uh, if you came back or somebody comes to you in five ten years time what would you like to see um, as the results of the culture mile that are not there at the moment but are coming so a short-term uh re- sort of a perception and then a longer-term reflection from you tim sure
1: so in the in the short term i suppose what i'd say is of course you know people are galvanized and excited and you know keen to to kind of get over the you know the hump of covid finally and move on in the future and you know see those audiences coming back in greater numbers after going through a, a really surreal and difficult difficult time that and of course that you know there's going to be ongoing scars and changes and difficulties but i think it's i suppose it's important to remember that that people who who've essentially dedicated their careers to to the cultural sector are are kind of beautifully obsessed and driven with you know with sort of delivering on what they think the huge benefits are of culture to the public and however many obstacles you you, that the world might throw in their way you know they pick themselves up dust themselves down and 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 carry on going so in a way you know whilst it's pushed people into some really difficult corners and, and made people make some really difficult decisions i think you know that that sort of passion and excitement of kind of moving forward and getting going and learning and taking opportunities to consolidate you know the some of the changes that people might have had to make uh, that have been that have been unexpectedly positive you know that that flame burns really, really strong, uh, particularly with the cultural leaders that I'm fortunate to work with. I think in the longer term, I, I don't have to do too much work to be honest with you Tim, in the sense that, I've seen the vision for the future Museum of London um, and it's going to be, you know, uh, one of the most highly visited museums by school groups in the world when it's delivered. It's going to have a quadrupling of its capacity to host commercial exhibitions, which really lifts it um, up the kind of league table in terms of Internationally important museums, and crucially, and I, I don't think we perhaps you know for those of us who who think about cultural capital projects from a built environment perspective, we don't think enough about how radical it is to do what the Museum of London is doing, which is to occupy a pre-existing historical building rather than creating a brand new shiny CGI you know concept for a, a sort of super venue. Um, uh, you know the museum team is doing something amazingly appropriate and and weirdly more radical than it should be given what we all know about the climate emergency and so i look at that building now as a sort of as sharon amon from the from the museum describes it as one of london's last ruins and can kind of almost you know do a personal augmented reality moment in my head and overlay the kind of CGI's of what it's going to become onto it. And I can do the same with, um, you know, the Barbican Centre and the rest of the Smithfield market buildings and the Smithfield public realm and just see that actually there is a jaw-dropping offer that's going to come down the tracks after Crossrail over the next, you know, 10 to 15 years.
0: You've been listening to the second series of the Grimshaw podcast, Culture and the City, with your host, Tim Williams. Join us again for other episodes in this series from your favourite podcast provider.